Uh, the ordinary world that we live in is extraordinary. Amen? I mean, so many things that we experience daily, ordinary things, at other times you step back and you realize that really is extraordinary. Sometimes I've had that with a person. You know, you're with a person and you realize, wow, you know, this, I take them for granted that they'll always be there. But I realized that person's extraordinary. They've got a unique take on the world. They've got a unique, they've got unique skills and gifts and perspective and hopes and desires and all of these kinds of things. And the, the life is full of wonders. Amen. Uh, color, light, uh, scientific phenomena. I love nature shows that some of the things that are in our world, you think, Wow, who would know uh, these things? Sounds, uh, music uh, is one of the wonders of the world. Uh, every culture around the world, you know, textures. You think about, you know, aerial photos of the Sahara Desert. And then, you know, um, K2 and Mount Everest. And then a beautiful forest and an ocean scene. And all these things, knowledge and understanding. Extraordinary things that are ordinary that we experience daily. Feelings and emotions. Uh, heartaches and pain and loss. These things are extraordinary. Everybody has them. Everybody has had to process them and does it slightly differently. Uncertainty and hope. And anybody here have any of these kind of memories in your life? A time of challenge, maybe of loss and pain. And in the days down the road, you look back at that time and it actually is sort of I don't mean that we glor- that we delight in the pain, but in the days later, it's kind of like, oh, there was there was good in that, and I I recognize something special even about those times. It's it's quite a thing that God uses us that way and processes things through us, so that in the days, you know, down the road, we look back at a time that seemed like a challenge, and it's like, oh, I. I kind of long for those times. It's extraordinary that God would do that. Um, all of these kinds of things are normal. They're ordinary and they're extraordinary at the same time. Amen? Everybody you know what I'm talking about? Yep. An artist like Monet paints lilies on a pond and all of a sudden everybody's like, wow, that's extraordinary. <laughs> that famous picture, it's like, how many people have seen that a million times? You go for a walk, you go for a hike, and you see things, and it's like, ah, oh, a moment of, oh, beautiful, gone. But Monet takes it, and he makes it, and so now, I don't know what era he was. Would he be a couple hundred years ago? Turn Oh, so just a little over a hundred years? And people look at that beautiful painting of lilies on a pond, and it's like, it's, it's been generations now that people love that thing. Andy Warhol, how many have heard of Andy Warhol? He died a few years back. Um, in 1962, he painted a can of Campbell's tomato soup. That thing in the last few years. I mean, that's as ordinary as you can get. Growing up in Canada, before there was no-name brand stuff, everybody that I knew had a can, at least a can, of Campbell's tomato soup in their house. Andy Warhol painted that thing. It recently sold, (coughs) 
hold on to your seat, for $11.7 million. <laughs> now, that might be extraordinarily stupid, maybe, to pay that. But the ordinary, and it's extraordinary. Somebody sees it a certain way and presents it, and it's like, oh, that is extraordinary. That's beautiful. When I see that, when I hear that, something ordinary that almost everybody sees, and then it sometimes... We, we, our, our thinking or our perception of things gets changed a little bit, gets, you know, uh, kind of focused, and we see it differently. Sunrises and sunsets, it's easy to see how extraordinary they are a lot of times. Amen? Um, you know, a beating heart, it's extraordinary that we go to sleep taking it for granted that that thing's going to keep going through the night. Uh, sleep is extraordinary, isn't it? You know that wonderful thing? It's a weird thing. We love it. But for most of the time that we are having sleep, we're not really aware of it. We're not enjoying it. Until those times, you know when you first lay down for a nap and there's that delicious feeling of, oh, I'm going out. (laughs) (laughs) Or when you're waking up and it's like, Oh, that feels good. No, I don't want to wake up. And can you have some wonderful thing like this? Beside you. That beautiful feeling of sleep. It's a wonderful thing. It's extraordinary. Laughter. I love it. I love it. I plan to do a lot more of it. I, I mean, people say, oh, we died laughing. I kind of hope I do. That'd <laughs> be a good way to go, huh? <laughs> okay, it's common, it's ordinary, but it's extraordinary. And you are ordinary and normal, so to speak, <laughs> and extraordinary. Just look at the person next to you for a moment. Yeah, they're, they're extraordinary. They're an extraordinary creation, all that's going on in there right now. There's things going on. Extraordinary. The Christmas story, a young girl gives birth to a son. That's ordinary. It's happened billions of times. A young girl gives birth to a son. It's ordinary, but it's extraordinary every time. Every time a baby is born, it's extraordinary. There's something extraordinary about that. I know there's... Pain, I don't even mean just the physical pain, but there are births that are, you know, a real challenge, but it's an extraordinary thing that life is being uh, presented. It's already begun, but it's being presented at the time of birth. But this time, this Christmas time, is like no other, and this pregnancy and birth and life and death is in a league of its own in extraordinariness. Um, so all through this month, we're remembering what happened in an effort to renew and reinforce in our minds and hearts the glorious reality of God coming among us, Emmanuel, God with us, God taking on human flesh. I like in Hebrews 10, it says, sacrifices you didn't delight in, you've given me a body to do your will. That's Jesus speaking. You've given me a body in this planet to carry out your will. The reality of God's Son living as a man in order to die as a man. 
to pay for the sins of the whole world. With the extraordinary result of life forever in relationship with him for those who receive him and believe in him. That's what makes this so extraordinary. Not even just the virgin birth. That is extraordinary. Not even just that, you know, the heavens were opened and angels were singing, saying he's there. But it was because of where it was going. Why this was so extraordinary was where it was leading was the life of the Son of God, the death of the Son of God, and the results that we could be reconciled to God and know him in loving relationship forever. So we intentionally remember so we can be revived in the reality of Christmas. Okay, with that backdrop, let's read uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56 this time. We're going to go a little farther. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation or what kind of greeting this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Judah, sorry, over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regard, sorry, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. 
And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home. As soon as this is done, we have the account of Elizabeth actually giving birth to the guy that we call John the Baptist, which is who that was, the baby in the womb who leapt for joy. Okay, there are a couple of key aspects in this account that I want to highlight today. Um, And they're really closely linked to each other all through Scripture, and uh, particularly in this passage. Uh, The second one is our Advent theme for the day, joy. The other isn't a typical Christmas theme. The other uh, key theme I want to point out isn't a typical Christmas theme. Um, It's not found on cards, usually, or any carols that I can think of. I can't think of any carols that deal with the Holy Spirit. Uh, But he's in the story in such a significant way. Um, He's central to the whole story. And Luke is unique in the Bible as the only non-Jewish writer. And the book of Acts, which is sort of like part two of Luke's account. The book of Luke is the life of, uh, the life and ministry of Jesus up until his resurrection. And then the book of Acts picks up from the time of Jesus' resurrection and takes us through the Acts uh, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through the church. That's what uh, Luke presents. Um, so the first part is about Jesus' life and ministry. Acts, the second part, is about the Holy Spirit's ministry, and the life of the church. So in the first part of chapter 1, the angel appears to Zacharias, to Elizabeth's husband. He's a priest. His one time, most had one time in their life, that they got to go in and serve in the temple in the way that you find Zacharias serving. This was He was of the family of Judah, and he has this one extraordinary privileged hour when he gets to go in to the um, temple. When he goes in there, he meets the angel, and the angel gives him this extraordinary news. He tells him that his elderly wife is going to have a son. He says, your petition has been heard. So I don't know if Zacharias was still praying. In some ways, it seems like maybe he hadn't been because his wife was now elderly, um, and maybe it was that, you know, he just thought, well, that ship has sailed, you know, that's not going to happen. But the angel comes in and says, your prayer has been heard, and something extraordinary is going to happen, and your elderly wife is going to bear a child, finally, a son, and you'll name him John, and that's John the Baptist in verse 13. The angel says, he'll be great, just like he says about Jesus, but he says, he'll be great in the Lord's sight and will be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in the womb. Now, most people didn't do a lot of talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't even know at that point. They have the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit would come upon people and empower them for something, but there wasn't a lot of talk about being filled with the Spirit. So I don't know what Zacharias even took from that. Wow, I don't know what that means, but my wife's going to have a son, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while he's still in the womb. And he said some other extraordinary things, and he, as I say, he's the guy that becomes known as John the Baptist. He was extraordinary. Now Gabriel appears to Mary in the section we've been reading the last few weeks, 
to announce that Christ will be born to her. Pretty extraordinary news. How's this possible? She says, I'm a virgin. No problem. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's how God's going to meet this impossibility. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The word means envelop you. You'll be enveloped in the power of the, of, uh, of the Lord and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll conceive, he says, and you'll bear a son. And for that reason, though, that holy child will be called the Son of God. He says that's how it's going to come about. As soon as Gabriel leaves uh, from Mary, she leaves and goes to visit Elizabeth, uh, who's six months pregnant. She enters the house. She says, Shalom, typical Jewish greeting, Shalom uh, to Elizabeth. And the baby John in, in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Wow. Now, there's not a lot of room in there. So, you know, I, I don't think it's like he took a great step, but I can imagine what happened because I remember when Rose was carrying our kids, sometimes you'd all of a sudden see her stomach go, like, over one direction or something, you know, something would happen. Well, that baby leapt in her womb, something triggered. Mary comes in, shalom, and all of a sudden, something took place in the womb. That baby had a, a surge of, wow, the voice of the mother of God. The voice of the woman bearing the Christ just spoke in our household. And Elizabeth is, and Elizabeth, the baby leaps for joy, and Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to fill, it says in the first part to Zacharias, the Holy Spirit's going to fill John while in the womb. I think it's the same thing, and you'll see it in a second. The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary and she'll conceive. She goes in, she says hi, and the Holy Spirit, the, the baby leaps for joy. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, follow the story through and you see in verse 67, as soon as they named John eight days after his birth, probably when they were about to circumcise him or already had, Zacharias, John's old dad, is filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to prophesy. Everybody's getting filled with the Holy Spirit in this story. And he prophesies these extraordinary things, not just about his kid, but about the whole nation and the saving purposes of God. The Holy Spirit is upon another old man in Jerusalem after Jesus is born. It says he's upon this old guy and reveals to him. It says the Holy Spirit revealed to him, you are going to see the Christ before you die. And he, so it sounds like he's older. He, when he sees Jesus, he knows that's the one. And he says, now I can depart in peace. I've seen the one. And that's when he's just a little baby. That's when Jesus is just being dedicated in the temple. This old guy sees this. It's revealed to him. And it happens. He sees, so everybody, everybody in this story is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit who caused Jesus' miraculous conception came upon Jesus in chapter 3 when Jesus gets baptized. You know, 30 years down the road, Jesus gets baptized. It says immediately the heavens open up, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. Then it says in 4.1, Jesus, full of the Spirit, 
is led out into, by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. He goes out there and then he comes back in Luke 4.14 in the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes into a synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and he begins to preach from Isaiah 61 and he says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit... And he says, to say good things, to do good things. At the end of Luke, after he's resurrected now, he tells his disciples, they should expect and receive the same mighty Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a lot to do with Jesus. His conception. His forming in the womb. When his mom speaks, people get filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's telling people, oh, expect him. And then in, in his life, he's healing by the Spirit. Then at the end of his life, he's telling his disciples, okay, you got a big mission to do. You need the Holy Spirit to do it, and he's going to come. He's, this, the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with Jesus' life and the ministry. So ask and keep asking in faith to receive the Holy Spirit. We need him. We need him. If Jesus had him and needed him and told us to expect And to even ask for him. He said, ask, keep asking, seek, keep seeking, knock, keep knocking. And he was speaking it about the Holy Spirit. If Jesus was saying that, man, we need to be doing that regularly. Amen? The Holy Spirit at Christmas. The Holy Spirit is still the same. He's still the one who reveals Jesus, who applies the truth in our lives, who fills us and empowers us, who transforms us from the inside out. We don't want to just go through the motions and do religious things on the outside without inner transformation. Amen? We want the Holy Spirit doing it. So, the second part of this, the second theme, closely linked with this. Second key theme. In the life of everyone involved in this story, beginning with Zacharias, again we back up, verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. When Zacharias meets the angel in the temple... Verses 13 and 14 of Luke 1. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Rejoice means express joy. You'll have joy and gladness, and many will have joy and gladness from this kid. From this kid, and we all know a little bit, or most of us, a little about the ministry of John the Baptist. It wasn't like the guy was out there cracking jokes, making people feel comfortable. He was out on the side, and what was his number one word? Repent. People don't typically go, oh, you know, I just felt so warm and comforted when you said repent. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a word that does what? It, it, it's like, uh-oh. Something, yeah, challenge, something needs to change. I need to turn. Yeah, yeah, the spotlight is on you. But here's John, this guy. He leaps for joy in the womb. And the, he'll fill people, many, with joy. Okay, and we'll get to that. Why is that still joy? Zacharias, your prayer, you'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice. They'll express joy and gladness at his birth. He'll be great and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Mary hears that her relative, uh, sorry, Mary um, hears about her relative, goes to see her, and when Elizabeth 
is filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out. She cried out for joy. She, the baby's filled with joy. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child in your womb. How is it that the mother of my Lord has come to see me? Behold, when I heard your greeting, the baby leaped for joy. And in response, Mary now says, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit rejoices. My spirit is expressing joy. What this did not sound like is Mary coming in, shalom. And Elizabeth goes, oh, behold, that the mother of my Lord has come to see me. Oh, the baby leaped for joy. And <laughs> Try and say that without a smile on your face. Oh, wow, this is a great day. <laughs> and Mary responds in kind and goes, my soul exalts in the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. <laughs> God would be going, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't tell. Some Holy Spirit, go down and fill her again. Something's not right. You know, I thought this was joy. Um, there's something about that. With a loud voice, she cried out, joy gets expressed. Amen. It needs to be expressed. Mary says, uh, you know, she's like, she's responding. It's like, I know, right? And she's, she's excited about it. And after John's birth, when Zacharias' mouth is open, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And I think it's quite certain that his tone was joy-filled. He hadn't spoken in nine months. Somewhere about that, he hadn't spoken. And when it when the baby is being circumcised and he says his name is John and his mouth is open and he prophesies. And I think there's joy in it in chapter 2. When the angels announce Jesus' birth to the shepherds out on the side of the hill, what happens? It says, we bring you good news of great joy. And all of this is connected to the Holy Spirit. Because when we're... It says... The angels told Zacharias, your son will be filled with the spirit while in the womb. Then Elizabeth doesn't actually say that, but she says he leaped for joy when she was filled with the spirit. I think it's all one and the same. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, he leaped for joy, all of these things. It's not a surprising connection. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the spirit is what? What's the first one? Love. What's the second one? There it is again. Joy. Love. The fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is there, there's love. Joy. All of these things. Peace is the next one. The Holy Spirit comes and he brings, there's joy in his wake. Uh, Romans 4.17 says, The kingdom of, of God is not in eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That That's there again and again. Jesus later sends out his disciples. They go out and they, uh, he sends them out on an evangelistic campaign. They go out, they preach the gospel to people. And when they come back, they're, they're all excited. Man, even demons are subject to us in your name. Like, it would be one thing. We've been watching Jesus speak to demons and say, come out of him and don't enter him again. It's one thing to say, oh, this lady, she's been doubled over for 17 years or something like this, and Jesus 
rebukes this, this evil spirit off of her, and she stands up straight. These demons are subject to him. But now the disciples come back and say, wow, when we took our stand in your name, they were subject to us, and they're all excited about it. And Jesus says, don't rejoice in that, but that your names are written in the book of life. But then it says in Luke 10, 21, this is an unusual passage. He says that to them, and then it says, at that time, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And the word rejoiced, some say it can mean uh, leaping or even twirling. Like there was some bodily expression like, like, I don't know quite what that looked like, but can you imagine Jesus twirling? Yay! You know, we win. You know? <laughs> like that's something. He rejoiced greatly. He wasn't, again, I mean, do you picture Jesus that way? I want to. I want to see him as he is. It says he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. It's like, boy, that's great, guys. You know, no way. No way. You know, one thing, just a bit of a side note. You know how kids are emotionally honest? If they don't like something, they they cry or they say it or, you know... This stinks, you know. And then, you know, we teach manners. We don't want to be rude. We don't want our kids to be rude. But little kids are emotionally honest. They, they're hungry. They cry out for food. They, this happens. They, they do what is. And I believe that Jesus walking in the truth, I don't mean that he was not in control, but he was emotionally honest. Boy, when it says he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit, he was free, not like me. Not like me where, oh, I'm inhibited and I, you know, I'm at a wedding and I wish I could dance freely, but I'm self-conscious. I don't think Jesus was that way. I think he was absolutely secure. And boy, when it was funny, he would laugh. When it was sad, he, you know, would feel it. When he would express joy, there was no doubt about it. It wasn't like, eh, do you think he really is? No way. Not Jesus. He's emotionally true, emotionally authentic. And so here's Jesus all through his life. There's this connection of the Holy Spirit and joy. And you see it in the life of every person in this story. It's just, these are key themes for us to glom on to. Because again, you know, you hear these terms, the real meaning of Christmas. Well, The real meaning of Christmas is connected to the real spirit of Christmas, and it's the Holy Spirit. It's not just gift-giving. It's not just family time. The spirit of Christmas is the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was brought forth, and everybody in the story is impacted by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, I'm going to wrap with this. I'm not going to cover everything. This joy we have as believers is not dependent uh, on favorable circumstances uh, or even moment-to-moment victories. It's it, First Peter, I want to read you this verse. First Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, it says... 
In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. There are trials in the world, amen? So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We were singing joy, unspeakable joy. We can never fully express it. But we have to express it. But it's not based on our worldly circumstances. He says in this world, Peter says this several times in his first letter, in this present age, there are troubles. There are trials. There's pains. There are these things. But here he says, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because our joy is anchored in Jesus. Our joy is something that the Holy Spirit is birthing and inspiring within us. Amen? That's where our joy is. The ultimate victory of life over death that we have in Christ is where our joy is. Because how many people here had some defeats even in this last week? Anybody? Man, I did. Some things where I'm not happy about how this played out. I'm not happy about how I worked things out here. But my ultimate joy is not in those things. If our eyes are only, if our eyes are only and our tear and our ears only hearing what's happening around us daily in this fallen world, joy will be in short supply. There's so much going on in our world. It's it's so obviously fallen, so obviously, you know, as uh, Paul points out, the whole world is held in the power of the, uh, you know, uh, it, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, and this world is held in the power of the evil one. Like there's a, there's just the God of this world is active. And in Advent Christmas, we are intentionally recalling the coming of a Savior who made it so that our joy could be complete. Because like Mary, like Zacharias, like Elizabeth, they were rejoicing when these babies, in fact, even before they were conceived, there was a promise that was like, you know, we sing that song, a thrill of hope. There was a hope of the fulfillment of all that God had said. And so here they are rejoicing. Here we are with that thrill of hope and that joy anchored in Christ, even though we're not seeing the fullness of everything worked out yet. But in Advent, Christmas, we're recalling the coming of a Savior, the only Savior, the sinless Son of God, and all that He would do in His life and death and resurrection to reconcile us to God and to eternal life. In Him is our joy, full and eternal, beyond the boundaries of this life and this world.